This is CliffCentral.com. This show contains adult content. If you find it offensive, please go to the CliffCentral.com website where there's a show for you. CliffCentral.com. It is Friday morning. This is Sex Talk with John T. Searle and Bruce. Hello, everybody. Super Bruce. Howard. <laughs> so, this is unscripted. This is on radio. And this is, without a doubt, this morning, uncensored because we are going some really interesting places. <laughs> Very cool. So, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been a while. Yeah, well, a mm. couple of weeks, yes. Mm. Yeah. So, that's really cool. So, let's see first if your brain is awake this morning. Okay. <laughs> Big ask on a Friday morning. <laughs> Dirty dictionary word. Nyctophilia. Nyctophilia. N-Y-C-T. Nyctophilia. Yeah, yeah, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is, um, I don't know, there was a phase where everybody was keeping like chewing tobacco mm. on them in those uh, sort of tins in yeah. their back pockets, yeah. and then they shove it down the side of their cheeks. Yeah. That's the first thing that, and then everybody had this oh, like rank. So, so the nicotine is where you're going. Yeah, so nicotine, I don't know, something feelier. So you get a get turned on from graunching somebody who's been sucking on some tobacco. Okay. I don't okay. know. That's interesting. Mm. I'm sure there is a fetish for that. But that's sure. not what nyctophilia <laughs> okay. is. So if you know what that is or you think you know what that is, WhatsApp us on 079-748-2090. We would love to hear. And there's just some stuff that I want to share this uh, about the past week that's happened. So firstly, from some of our listeners, the most amazing messages of how much you're learning from the show and what it's doing for you. And I love getting those. So thank you so much because this is one of the favorite parts of my week. And to have the platform to share in the way that we do with the openness is really incredible. And that we're able to touch your lives in the way that we do is really cool. And I really thank you for that. Um, we're doing something so special next week on the South Coast, Essential Massage Retreat for Couples. You want to heal your relationship. You want to learn about pleasure. You want to connect with your partner. This is the place to be. There are still some places for it. And if you go to my Facebook page, John T. Searle, you'll see some amazing pictures of where we're going to be at Rocky Bay. So... What a winter break. If you're in Durban, if you're in Joburg, if you're in Bloemfontein, if you're in Cape Town, if you're in Leidenburg, that's really, really cool. There we go. Welcome. And the next weekend, we are going to be at Actually, no, we're going to be in Middleburg. (laughs) So, Bedroom Affairs in Middleburg the week after that, which is really cool, and I'm looking forward to that. So, if you want more information on that and you're anywhere in that area, um, 
drop me an email, a message, and I will put you in touch with the people organizing that because that looked like lots and lots of fun and um, a beautiful night for women. Awesome. And um, the other thing is some of our listeners have been very courageous and brave, and they've actually come to do some healing with me. It takes courage to embark on a journey of sexual healing. It really does because you go into the depths of who you are. You go into mm. your body. You go into your heart. But the way people's lives are changing is amazing, and you don't have to live with the hurt, with the disconnect, with the loneliness that you are experiencing. It can be different. Yep. Do what the song says. When I get that feeling, I need sexual healing. Give John to your call. There we go. So, thank you for that. <laughs> okay, now, let's get into the serious business. Very serious. Absolutely. This is, uh, oh, oh, this oh. is down. This is very serious work. Maybe Better yes. listen up here. Yes, absolutely. So, I got an email from a listener a few weeks ago, and I thank you for that, because it opened me to something I never even knew before, which is really cool when I discover something in the world of sexuality that I don't know about, because hmm. I don't know that there's not much that I don't know about, but this was really fantastic. So I got an email saying, do you know about any puppy play groups? And I thought, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so I go and Google puppy play and guess what comes up? Puppy play. Mm. So I message Bruce and I say, do you know about puppy play? And Bruce goes. Well, I'd heard of it. I'll be honest on Facebook. I had a few friends who would make comments and, you know, refer to one another as pup. Um, but it wasn't really something that I was completely immersed in. I just thought it was a, a terminology thing. You know, some people refer to each other as a boy or, uh, and there is the whole dad-son culture that has emerged in the, the Men Who Have Sex With Men community. But, um, yeah, since then it's been a bit of an adventure. I've found an, some more friends who are quite into the, the whole thing and uh, had some amazing and fascinating conversations yesterday with some of my mates. Yeah, I saw the beginning of that conversation yeah. and um, contributed just a line or two, and then it got quite interesting. Very. So let's talk about what puppy play actually is, and maybe you can explain it better than I can. So what I loved about it is it's something very – so a disclaimer, it's not something that I personally have uh, explored yet, uh, emphasis on yet because it's very intriguing. But um, – so what I gathered from all the people that I chatted to is that it's very diverse. So that people, many, many people um, engage in puppy play for various reasons. So it doesn't have to be a fetish or a kink or a sexual thing. So for some people, it's a psychological or an emotional thing. And one of the guys I chatted to said, okay, so just to explain how it works is that um, puppy plays, you generally get, uh, it, it emerged from the BDSM community. Mm -hmm. So that's where it was birthed and it has since then evolved and like anything organic and fascinating has become its own sort of thing. And you have, um, people who present as puppies because who doesn't love a puppy? And you get, uh, you dress up as a puppy. You can get a, a, a mask or a headgear that is sometimes made out of leather, sometimes made out of different, uh, um, things altogether. And you become a persona of a puppy. Right. And then somebody plays the role of a handler, or you may have handlers, um, who, you, you know, and the dynamic between pet and owner is sort of reenacted. It's a, it's role play. Mm. 
And the one friend uh, that I chatted to yesterday was saying for him it's a psychological thing. In his mind, being a puppy is just so much fun and playful and he can take all the stresses and strains of his everyday reality and put it to one side and be a playful, happy puppy and have his handler scratch his belly and tell him he's a good boy and... And then there's the other elements, you know, another person that I'm not particularly close to, but he he was just saying to me, oh, no, you know, on a sexual level, it just, it takes him to another, uh, I mean, you know, in uh, in sexual positions, there is the doggy style. So there has always been um, a sort of undercurrent of, of puppy play mm. in in the sort of in the ether. And this just takes it to another level because, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that one uh, is completely dominant of another. If you think about, you get a naughty puppy. Puppies often do what they what they want to do. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes they chew things up and they misbehave, and then they need to be scolded. There's so many different dynamics. So uh, it's very difficult to just say this is what puppy play mm-hmm. is. So I found it fascinating, and when I read an article um, or two about it, there mm. were some really interesting things. I mean, there was one about a bar in San Francisco, um, a leather bar yes. in San Francisco. And there were a whole lot of, of puppies and handlers. Mm. And the one handler held up a ball. Oh, and, my goodness. And all of a sudden, there was like silence in the bar. <laughs> and all the puppies kind of start chomping at the bit almost. Yes. And and the guy throws the ball and all the puppies go scampering all over to find <laughs> <Cute>. the ball. <laughs> and awesome. It was amazing. And what I really what really resonated with me with mm. this, what I could really identify with, was the absolute freedom yes. to run around and play. Yeah. And it brought up some really interesting things for me because the one thing is that as adults, we forget how to play. Completely. We forget the importance of that. And sex and sensuality are one of the ways that we play. Yeah. But we make our sex so serious, you know? Yes. And – we have this huge focus on orgasm and on doing it right and technique and everything else. And we forget about the play and the fun, mm. the laughter, the absurdity, the absolute ridiculousness of some of the sexual things that you do. Something that I thought uh, that relates to this, I watched a YouTube video yesterday of of two guys in the States who mm. are you know heavy into the puppy play or pet play scene. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, MSM. Mm. There are uh, men and women who engage in, in puppy and pet play. But um, these two guys were in their full puppy puppy regalia and they were on all fours because so it actually it doesn't just involve a a mask it can involve padding for the knees Mm. and for your hands so that you can you can walk and with a tail and the whole spiel and you can walk like a puppy next to your handler and these two guys were walking down the street and they were uh, whoever was filming the videographer was recording people's responses and reactions Mm. and it was delightful you know, it was, it was so interesting. People were laughing and people were, uh, people had these joyous and, and happy expressions on their faces. So there's something delightful about it. I mean, yes, on social media yesterday, there were some sort of derogatory and, mm. and judgmental, almost shaming comments as well. Uh, or I'd say rather they were more dismissive than anything else. Mm. But there is definitely something about this particular lifestyle that is, it's fascinating and interesting. Yeah. You know? I want to come back to that because I was listening to a YouTube talk this week and I'll post it on our, um, I'll put it up on our resources. Mm. And it was the story of a guy who 
<coughs> excuse me, he had he started a whole lot of businesses. Most of them failed. Mm. One made fifteen million dollars, which was fantastic. And in a couple of years, he went from having fifteen million dollars to forty dollars. Wow. Um, huge depression, suicidal yeah. thoughts, and he turned his life around. And one of the things that came out of it was how important it is to have fun and laugh. Mm. And he quoted a study. How many times a day do you think the average adult laughs? Sure. I wonder. Mm. Give it a thought. How Pick many times? Okay. You see, this is difficult because I laugh a lot. Yeah. I don't, so I'm aware. I'm always thinking to myself, geez, these people are so serious. Yeah. So, so uh, for myself, I think, oh, geez, at least about 700 to 1,000 times. Okay. Now think of the people that you – that around. you look at and see how serious they are. Um, so I wouldn't say the marketing department because all of us laugh like hell at Anova, but I'd say shame. The people in finance, <laughs> maybe 10, 15 times a Five day. times. Oh, really? That's <gasps> it. Five times a day. No. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. Now think about kids. Oy. They laugh almost continuously. Yes. They laugh, they cry, if they get happy, they get primary sad, emotion. they get over it. They, Always in a state of primary emotion. Yeah. That's it. And it becomes quite incredible. Jeez. And you think about that and then you think about this environment that allows you to just have fun. Amazing. And that's incredible and we forget mm. about that. And it's one of the most amazing things about the world of fetish kink in mm. whatever way you express that. And I gave it a, a talk this week. It was a workshop. The first time we've done it of an introduction to bondage play, to kink, to fetish. Mm. Um, and it was really, it was such a beautiful evening. And one of the big themes of it was the spaces inside of you it allows you to go and the parts of yourself that it allows you to access. Yeah. In terms of just being able to have fun. Yeah. Well, it's on the, it's growing. So there is, a, from what I gathered, um, to the, pe- from the people I chatted to, there is already a, a basic puppy play scene going on in Cape Town. Um, I think in, from what I heard, Joburg is still very fledgling. Um, there are a few people in Joburg that I spoke to who, uh, one couple from Berlin who've now, who are now living in Johannesburg mm-hmm. and they are looking to develop their own sort of, Puppy play fetish evenings. Okay. Um, and they, they were fascinating to chat to because they take it very seriously. Mm. You know, they have the, the masks that it's not cheap to get a, a puppy mask. Yeah, I'm made. Sure I mean, I suppose if you want to, you can make your own and it won't cost that much. Mm. But these guys have the, you know, they've had professional puppy, ma- leather puppy mask makers make their masks to their specifications. They take the whole thing seriously and they, and they don't take well to, to being made fun of or, or being, um, Sort of ridiculed mm. or that kind of thing. So it's there are it, it, every there's a, every different type of person on the spectrum. Then of course you get other people who are quite happy for you to tease them about being a puppy mm. and you know oh so you're into that puppy you know so you know different strokes for different folks. Absolutely, really interesting. So somebody sent us a very cool message saying about pony play. Pony oh yes, and look yes. that up as well. Yeah, and that's really interesting because that's huge. Mm. No, that I've I seen. mean there are communities in Europe. On huge estates yes. where men and women are dressed up as ponies. They pull carts. Little buggies. Yes, yeah, I've seen they that. They are groomed. And the outfits, the carts, the, it's, it's a world. Very elaborate. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. It's very ritualized. You know, the masters and mistresses, the outfits that they wear are incredible. 
It's incredible. So it's wonderful. It's, it's a huge world of, 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 of expression and mm. experience. Um, and the training for that. Yeah. I just think it's so, I love the theater aspect. I mean, mm. having been, uh, having had a theater background mm. and, uh, I, you know, one of the things I did uh, when I used to lecture, um, drama, I would struggle with my first years to get themselves to just stop taking themselves so seriously yeah. and, and take on roles and play. You know, one mm. of the first things you do is you get them to embody the elements and then you get them to embody different animals mm. and, and that's how you get people to access that, those different aspects yeah. of themselves. And it's very difficult in the beginning. You know, I, it would get better. And and easier mm. as the students progressed into their second, third, and fourth year. But it always fascinated me that you'd have these uh, these um, ladies and gentlemen straight out of matric who you'd think would be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and they would struggle in the beginning mm. to just let their their personas, their you know, their sort of uh, reps, as they called their representatives, mm. down, and then to be able to assume these different roles and just play and let themselves go. And that had to be cultivated over yeah. a period of years. That's interesting, you know, because we get so socialized out of that aspect, that natural mm. joy, that natural ecstasy, that natural connection with life yeah, um, into being serious, into achieving, into behaving a certain way that fits the, the, the incredibly fucked up norms yes. of the society that we've lived with. It takes us, you know, there's such a big thing with us. It takes us away from being Natural and it takes us away from our connection to nature completely and, and any kind of intimacy and particularly yeah. any kind of intimate communication. I mean, one of the biggest in, in my uh, previous job when I was writing communications mm. and I had a lot of clients from the financial services provider industry as well as in the, the corporate sector. And the big battle I would always have with my clients is they would want to use all this very cold corporate speak and these mm. acronyms and all these different things. And I was like, just speak. You're a human being. Mm. Let's create communication that is you as a human being speaking to another human being. And they were like, no, it's inappropriate. It's too familiar. But the business of interaction, the business of business is intimate. You want yeah. that person to pay you. You want that person to give you their business. Yeah. So, and I mean, uh, there's a huge trend I've noticed in the marketing and, and uh, advertising world where things are becoming, the, by its very nature, everything is so sort of, you've got so many different things coming at you. Um, and we all have ADD at the moment. I mean, social media, there's a thousand things on your timeline. So everybody's competing for space. Who are you going to listen to? The person who mm. makes eye contact with you and speaks to you directly. Yeah. I mean, there was a Facebook post this week about our attention span mm. and how short that is at the moment. Yeah. And that actually a goldfish, and I'm not exaggerating, yeah. a goldfish is able to hold attention longer than a human can at this stage. I can believe that. I can that believe that. That is seriously whacked. Yeah. In our world. No, it's, it's crazy. It's just this huge flow. I mean, we are the sausage factory. You know, we're consuming everything around us at an alarming rate. And now we're consuming each other at an alarming rate. Yeah. I mean, uh, some, for example, these dating apps, you know, um, you have a dating app on your phone and you swipe left or right. You give the average person not even three, four seconds to make an impact on you. And that's Purely based on aesthetics. You have no yeah. idea what kind of person they are. You have no idea what kind of sexual energy or sensual energy that person may have if you were seeing them face to face. It's literally, I don't like his eyes. I don't like his nose. Mm. I don't like his, th you know, it's just, and that's how we are with each other. We're very, very judgmental very quickly and we're just categorizing each yeah. other. And you know how much of, how many, 
for want of a better word, psychological issues and mm. emotional issues are coming from that space. Completely. From that total lack of connection. Yeah. That total lack of connection with ourselves. Yeah. The lack of quiet, the lack of peace within us, the yeah. lack of stillness, um, the lack of intimacy with another person. We treat each other like cattle. Yeah. So it's like you're at a, at a cattle market. And you are, you, pre- you're presented in a, in a grid, a series of pictures where you're being compared to other people, also purely based on aesthetics. And, you know, some supposed person out there must make a selection based on the way that they interpret, you know, the way that they react to your picture. Yeah. Which, which is, is static, incredible. a static representative of a very mm. complex human being. It's, and very how many top teachers and writers in the world at the moment are talking about the fact that so much Depression and anxiety are coming from our simple environment. Yes. It's nothing to do with brain chemistry. Mm-mm. It's nothing to do with anything inside of you that you are being told is there. Yeah. It's simply about our environment. Disconnection. Yeah. Completely. And there's a beautiful thing that in a lot of, of, of tribes that, um, that are more, um, that work with shamanistic systems. Mm. When you go to a shaman and you say you're sick, the shaman doesn't ask about your symptoms. Mm. They ask four questions. The first is, when did you stop connecting with nature? Yeah. The second is, when did you stop connecting with spirit? The third is, when did you stop dancing? And the fourth is, when did you stop telling your story? Wow. That is, that's beautiful. I love that. And that's where you start connecting with life, and that's where you start healing yourself. And everything comes from that. Well, that, that's why it just makes complete sense to me that you have movements like puppy play mm. and, and furry culture and all of these different things that are coming back because it, it is forming some kind of, of primordial connection. Yeah. I mean, having someone rub your tummy and tell you're a good boy, you, you're a good boy. I can't think of anything better. No, it's nurturing. It's, it's beautiful. It's fun. It's acknowledging. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it makes complete sense mm. to me. It's back to basics, which is what we need. Yeah. You know, uh, we have so many ways of connecting, supposedly connecting with each other. So many platforms, websites, mm. apps, blah, blah, blah. But it's an internet of things. It's we right. sit, we sit around the same table. Having dinner, but we're all on our phones connected yeah. to other people, supposedly. Yeah. And people think that I'm having this really amazing relationship online with whoever around the world. Yeah. There's no fucking intimacy in that. None. Intimacy is sitting here yeah. and having a conversation and in touching someone. Completely. And that's intimacy. Yeah. And the rest of it is bullshit. Yep. You think it is, you're fooling yourself. It's an absolute illusion. And there are so many studies coming out, which is. The interesting thing is how many people judge people for fetish play. Completely. For the expression of that aspect of themselves. And Mm. the interesting thing with so many studies now, those people are so much, so much more, let's make good Mm. English, Mm. yeah? Yes. Psychologically healthy because of that expression of themselves. Yes. They're not suppressing it. They're not repressing it. Mm. They're not making themselves something they're not to fit into any norm. Yeah. They're being who they are, and that is healthy. It's beautiful. I mean, so the issue at the moment for me is that there's, so anyone who's connected to social media will notice that there's a, there's still a lot of call out culture going on. Mm. We're all like, 
you know, that's not appropriate or that is mm. problematic or you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be saying that. And then judgment and shame across the board. And it, it's one of the things that frustrates me is that there's so many different ways of expressing ourselves. So yesterday, um, when I was doing social media sort of harvesting of different infam- um, perspectives on puppy play, there was, as I said, there was a lot of quite small minded and, and, um, I'd say bordering on, on shaming, uh, comments about puppy play, um, from people who were quite conservative. But then there was also a, like a huge backlash from people saying like, this is unacceptable and shaming of kink and shaming of fetish people is unacceptable. And I just thought this is, this is something that is very complex for me because shame goes in all directions. And so, for example, if somebody is conservative or, so I, I called it vanilla shaming, for example. Mm. So in our community, there's a lot of pressure on gay men to engage in anal sex, for example. It's assumed that if you're gay, you're going to have yeah. anal sex. Also, it's in a the, huge assumption it's that. Massive. And, and then if it, you ask most straight people, that's their first image of, of what makes sex. somebody gay. Yeah. Exactly. And then in the trans community, particularly among trans women, the, Sort of het cis community or het, uh, heterosexual and cisgender community fetishizes and objectifies trans women um, a lot. They're so they're just seen as sexual objects mm. rather than beings. Or and that's why it, it, I, it, I have an issue with that because. LGBT people don't have to be kinky. They don't have to have all these fetishes. They can be as conservative and as vanilla as they like. I think the issue for me comes from when a conservative person is shaming or putting down somebody who does have a kink who, who or he does have a fetish mm-hmm. and the same thing from the other way around you know calling somebody boring or saying somebody is unadventurous or you know come on live a little be more adventurous everybody's doing what they're doing at their pace if you don't feel comfortable having a dick in your ass then you don't feel comfortable having a dick in your ass. Nobody else can tell you. I mean, this is one of the things. So in my awareness of some of the people that I've chatted to who got pulled into the, the world of chemsex, for example, it's something that a lot of, of the guys that they've chatted to on social media, I, I myself have received messages from guys saying, like, do you want to meet me for bareback chemsex? And when I've said, no, thanks, I'm not interested, I've been, I've received those comments mm. like, oh, you're so boring. You don't know what you're missing. Um, you know, come on, live a little, get out of your, your little box. And the truth is I'm quite happy in my box if my box doesn't involve an addiction to crystal meth, mm. you know, and so it's just finding a balance like anything in life. It's the pendulum and finding out where you swing in yeah. that pendulum and yeah. just, Allowing other people to express themselves as they'd like to. Yeah. I got a message this week from someone who sent me a, a clip of, of some asexual people. Oh, yes. And I was asked to, to give an opinion on it. And if that's how you identify, then that's how you identify. Completely. My only thing with that is if you're making that choice out of a wound that you haven't healed mm. and you're repressing something, that's a blockage. Mm. So do the healing. Then make the choice. Completely. But if that's how you choose to live your life, then that's how you choose to live your life. Completely. And I mean, so I have seen a few documentaries. Uh, I haven't actually, and I'd love to, if there is anyone listening um, who identifies as being asexual, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what your reality is like. I'm sure John T. would as well. Yeah, you know, we've done some interviews with people who have chosen celibacy mm. as, as a way that, that they're not asexual. Yes. They have simply chosen celibacy as 
a way of being. There are people as well who identify as asexual who do engage in sexual acts because of their, you know, they want to keep their partner or yeah. please their partner. Um, they have, I've even heard of people, sex workers who identify as asexual mm-hmm. who still practice sexual acts with, with their clients. So um, once again, so many colors in the rainbow. There's so many different shades of pink, yeah. purple and green. And I think it's, it's fascinating. And it's the same thing. Like just because you are such a sexually uh, identified human being and you can't imagine what it must be like to be asexual doesn't mean that that's not a reality. Yeah. And how many people have relationships without sex in them? And for a lot of people, that's definitely a problem. Yes. I've worked with people like that where it's an enormous issue Mm. that the fullness of their sexuality is not being expressed. Yes. But it's possible to have a relationship like that. Completely. And often it will come from one partner. And then how do you express that? How do you, when you love someone, but your choice is not to be sexual, Mm. and it takes incredible discussion and negotiation. You know, is it okay for them to have their sexual needs fulfilled elsewhere? Yeah. Because that's just one aspect of your relationship. That you might have an incredible spiritual connection with someone. You might have an amazing mental connection. You might have an incredible heart love. Yes. But the sex is not there. A very good uh, – so there's a couple in Cape Town that I'm, I've been friends with for years, and they've been together more than 20 years. And both of them identify as being tops, so they're the active partners. Mm. I'm not sure how I feel about active and passive, but anyway, they like to be the, the partner who is penetrating the other partner. And that initially was quite a complex thing to negotiate between the two of them. And what they decided was that they loved each other, they wanted to be together, um, but that they would – find that sexual gratification outside of the relationship mm. or sometimes together they would invite a third partner in and that's how they identify and that's how they they got their their kicks for i think it was about it was a good 10 15 years out of the 20 years relationship and then thereafter they were done and they both independently decided that they were happy with the that so the relationship has been sexless and neither one of them has the feels the need to find that gratification mm. outside of their relationship. I mean, uh, I think the the younger of the partners says he loves a good, you know, wank session and he watches porn and whatever. But he says that's enough for him. He gets everything else he needs, emotional support, you know, um, camaraderie or togetherness or that kind of thing from the relationship. Mm. It's enough for him. So I love that, you know, all these different realities. Is we all expect our relationships to tick Every single box. And they don't. It's impossible for that to happen. Yeah. And to expect that from a partner is, is, it's absurd. Yeah. But it's an illusion that we live with incredibly. And the expectation and the pressure it can put on a relationship is enormous. Completely. And you can have an incredibly deep connection. You can share so much with your partner. Mm. But there are aspects of yourself that your partner is not interested in. Yep. And If you can be the fullness of yourself, you are bringing more to your relationship. You give your partner the space to be the fullness of themselves. Mm. They're bringing more. And your relationship becomes the space of expansion rather than a space of contraction, of limitation, of fear. 
Well, that's how, how growth comes about. You know, conflict causes creation. So if you have, I mean, everyone's going to have a situation with their partner where there will be aspects of the person that you're crazy about that you're attracted to and other aspects that you find completely repulsive or that triggers or aggravates you. And that's, you know, just coming to terms with those differences or learning how to compromise in those situations are what forces you to grow as a person. That's what life is. Life is compromise. Life is learning how to to change the things we can and to accept the things yeah. we can't. Absolutely. And it's enormous in terms of the possibilities and the way that you can live your life. Yeah. And this just opens so much of that. Yeah. That there is no one way that's right. And I just love the fact that there's now all these different playful ways of, of engaging, which is so, it's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what the future holds. You know, I'd, I'd like to see other ways that people, I mean, I'm sure there must be some sort of kitty play as well. I'd be interested to know yeah. if there's kitty play out there and if, if people, some people, I mean, cause you get all these people out there who identify as cat people and other people who identify as, as dog, as people, dog people and so, horse people. Yes. And- Fish people and hamster people, and, and then I, we're just getting into yeah. a whole other world. <laughs> hamster people. Oh, weird. Well, I don't know. I remember, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer or Halle Berry as Catwoman in those Batman movies. I mean, there was some serious sexiness going on there. So, yeah, completely, you know. Yeah, it's such a an amazing spectrum of being human. Yep. And the important thing with all of this is the journey is about authenticity. It's about honesty. It's about openness. It's about learning about yourself, learning about someone else. And the fascinating thing, and this has been a big theme this week, is how our sexuality impacts on every other area of our lives. Yeah. And I gave a talk to a group of entrepreneurs a couple of years ago. And the theme of what I started saying was the way you have sex is the way you run your business. Wow. And they all sat there saying, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, all these serious people and all this business technique and tools and marketing and, yeah. and finance. And, blah, 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 blah. and then we spoke about it and I said, think about it this way. What you fear sexually is gen- generally what you fear in life, what mm. you fear in business. As creative as you are sexually is as creative as, you're, as you'll allow yourself to be in your life and in business. Okay. That's an interesting perspective. And um, so it's obviously not as simple as like if you're a, a self-owned, you know, if you ha- own your own business, you're a wanker. I think no, it's a little bit more complex than that, absolutely. obviously. <laughs> and if you are having a fulfilled relationship, you are going to bring that fulfillment into mm. your work. Completely. You are going to be more productive at work. So, and if you're more productive at work, you're going to come home happier. That makes a lot of sense. Look, I have always had the theory that, uh, I mean, just in my experience, I've known a a handful of chartered accountants, Mm -hmm. and I've always said that chartered accountants are dark horses. You know, they they wear because of the nature of the work that they do and where they work. You know, very they come across as very conservative, but all the chartered accountants I know are. Hella kinky. So if you're a chartered accountant and you're listening, um, let me know if that's true or not for you. But I must say my handful of chartered accountant and accountant friends are quite open-minded. Yeah. Yeah. And underneath it all, 
you know, there are so many different aspects that make up who we are. Completely. And there are so many people who work in very high-pressure jobs, in mm. very conservative jobs. Um, and there's this other aspect to themselves. And it's all about this fullness, the balance of who we are. Yeah. And the interesting thing, I think, for most of us, when you've been on a growth journey, you understand that your real power is actually in what you were told was your shadow. Yes. The rest of it's not. Mm. I'm a nice person. I'm a kind person, for example. Mm -hmm. It's easy for me to be kind, and I'll do almost anything for anybody. No question. If you're in my life and you're important to me, there's not a whole lot that I wouldn't do for you. Mm. Absolutely. Um, that's easy for me. Yeah. Going into that shadow side, that's not so easy. And often that's where our power is. And that's what so many of these experiences in these worlds give us, is the opportunity to explore and experience mm. those aspects of ourselves. So, um, for the ben I think I know what you mean, but for the benefit of the listeners, what would you, what would you identify as being the shadow aspect of being gentle and kind? So, for example, um, put it in a, in a sensual sense, mm. that for a long time, my identification of my sexuality was, was, was gentle. Yes. It was sensual. It was very much that giving. And then I had a lover who one day grabbed me, literally grabbed me with nails and said, fuck my cunt as hard as you can. Jeez. <gasps> and that like, terrified me. Wow. What is this? Where do I go to find this part of me? Mm. And to have to go into that. To literally rip her clothes And if they got torn It didn't matter And literally pick her up And throw her on the bed And fuck her as hard as I could And walk away Because that's what she wanted Yes That is fascinating And that was an absolute moment Of surrender for her mm. She If I couldn't hold that space She couldn't surrender Sure that makes it, that's fascinating for me. So it really allowed her that surrender. Mm. It allowed me to get in touch with that part of myself that was totally about me in that moment. But it was bringing that absolute masculine mm. for her to experience an aspect of the fullness of her feminine. I really relate to that, Jonty, because uh, within the sort of the, my men who have sex with men framework personally for me because I present every day as a sort of self-deprecating, funny, um, very pleasing, you know, mm. also uh, the whole kind, uh, pleasing kind of archetype. Mm. People assume that I am a bottom or receptive sexually. Mm. And that's always fascinated me. And this ha happens to not be true. Um, I prefer sexually being active. That's just, it, it's a, it's a, another sort of spectrum, a part of my, my mm. being that is, so sexually, I'm not the same as I, as I present. Cause you know, my intimate side is completely different to the persona yeah. that I show to the world. And what's interesting is that I've found that the, the men that I've engaged with have the opposite. So they present as uh, quite a, f a few of them have presented as hyper. I'm not saying I only date hyper masculine men, but they, I have had experiences with men who present as being hyper masculine, um, that others would presume or associate with being a top who've actually been the opposite. And when, when we've been intimate 
they've been gentle and kind and soft and submissive. Mm-hmm. And it's been amazing to have that. And it makes it so much more intimate because I've realized in those situations that we are complex human beings. So you might be this hardcore son of a bitch on the streets, but then you're this soft, sweet little mm. puppy in the sheets. And it's and, beautiful. And the one gives the space for the other. Exactly. And it's all of who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, at this talk the other night, there was, there was a woman who was a switch. Yeah. Means she's a top and a bottom, depending on the situation or her choice. Yeah. Versatile for yeah. us. Yeah. And, and the fascinating thing about this is that within our sexuality and our sensuality are all of these different expressions. Yes. That there's times where I want you to hold me and cuddle me. Yeah. And there's times where I want you to rub my feet and I really enjoy that. So I'm just going to go off to sleep. Yeah. And there's times where I want to give you so much pleasure. And times where I do want to fuck you and come and walk away. Yes. And times where I want to tie you up and whack your ass. And as long as it's a discussion and a consensual agreement, it's fabulous. And it's all of that. And the more of ourselves that we can express, the more mm. full we become. It's incredible. You know, and I, what I love about it as well is that it, these discussions that we have are always so, we always advocate, um, open-mindedness and try and dispel the concept of assumption. You know, and assumption is the big issue. So I've had friends and, and even, uh, Potential partners where they just assume certain things based on on the way you present, and it's not the case. So I d- I don't enjoy being dominated mm. at all personally. I I don't want to be smacked. I don't want to be told what to do. The exact opposite is true for me. I'm very happy to be dominated in a work environment. I'm quite happy for somebody else to take the lead. I'm happy to be the best supporting actor, the backup duo girl in any other environment. And then I'm also happy to step up and and. Be the one-man show uh, focus of attention, but I think that's that's the thing is we need to take into consideration the diversity of other people, yeah, and and the different requirements and needs. Yeah, you know, there's an interesting exercise that I give all my clients, and I've I've spoken about it a lot this week. Mm. So here's an interesting thing to do in your relationship: you make two lists, more or less ten things on each list. The first list is what's important for you to give. In your relationship mm. And the second is What's important for you to receive I love that And you can do the same with sex Yeah What's important for you to give sexually What's important for you to receive sexually So the first list The first draft Throw away That's yeah. kind of the knee jerk stuff Yeah Second draft Throw away Yeah Then you're starting to get a little bit More into what's real And then you ask a question Of everything that you write down You ask Is this important If it is Then it stays and the purpose of the question is that so many ideas that we've had of what we think is important actually are not. And they've been around for so long. You know, like when you're 16, you see a movie and you see this perfect relationship and mm. you see this kind of house with a white picket fence and a Jack Russell and you think, that's what I want. Yes. Or that's what I should want. Yeah. And you've been having that idea for so long mm. that it's there. And then you think, wait a minute, do I really want that? Yeah. You know, there's an interesting thing with a lot of women that I've worked with who are mothers. Yeah. And they love their children. That's not a question. Yes. They never realized that they actually had a choice not to have kids or not to have them when they did yes. the way they did. Completely. Because their lives would have been very different. And it's not that they don't love being mothers and they don't love their children. They never realized the choice that they had. 
So when you start looking at that and you say, so what's important for me to give? What's important for me to receive? Completely. And it really starts you focusing. And what you said there was so important because somebody I was working with said it last night mm. in, in a, a session with a client. She said, I've never thought about what it is that I want as opposed to what I'm expected to want. Jeez. Yeah, that's amazing. What my family have told me that mm. I, the kind of relationship that I should have, what the feminists have told me that I should have. And that was huge. And because the feminists are not waking up in bed with you in the morning or going to sleep with you at night. Yes. Neither is any theory on relationship. It depends on what, what works, what, what gets yeah. you going. What is it that you want? Not what mm. you think you should have. Yeah. Whether you're gay, whether you're straight, whether you're a feminist, whether you are trans, whether you, it doesn't matter. Yes. What is it that you want that is going to bring you happiness? I relate to that so much. I mean, we have all these, I've had these preconceived notions of, you know, if somebody is older than me, that they have mm. to be the authority in the relationship. If somebody earns more money than me or they end up, uh, you know, sp paying for mm. most things that I can't necessarily afford, then that person has to be the authority. All of these things are, are, are assumptions that I've made based on other assumptions mm. that have been communicated around me. It's not true. No. You know, two people, you can decide to be equals or you can choose to be submissive. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that, for example, I don't like driving. So when I'm in a relationship, I love it when my partner takes the reins and drives. I want to sit shotgun looking through the window, listening to music in my own world. I'm quite happy for somebody else to mm. take the reins there. Uh, and in other ways, I also, I like to cook for my partner. I like to nurture. I like to take care of that person. But, in other ways, I, I want to be the one in charge. I want, so you know? when you start doing this, you start to realize this is important for mm. me. And then to be able to communicate that. Yeah. Because a couple that I sat with yesterday and she said, you know, it's amazing because I have all these incredible ideas in my head about what I want and what I want to do. and what's imp But that's where they are in your head. Yeah, you need to bring them out. Yeah. And another guy sat there and he said, you know… When I realized I spent so much time planning for the future that I don't know what I want now. For the present. Yeah. And then when I explained this exercise to him, he sat there and I said, what's happening inside of you? And he said, I have no idea what I want. Sure. And for so many people, that's the truth. We do what's expected of us. Mm. We follow a pattern. So we follow the pattern of our parents or our community, our tribe, whatever we think that should be, mm. instead of, what do I want? And a lot of times, we have no clue what we really want. Or we get overwhelmed by choices. Yeah. And somebody... I've been listening to a lot of TED Talks this week. Mm. Um, I haven't been that busy in my practice, so it's been a week of writing, um, preparing for lessons for workshops in Durban next week for the retreat. And um, so I've had quite a lot of time to listen to things. And there was a fascinating thing about choice, that if you don't make the choice, somebody's going to make it for you True. on some level. Yep. Your job's going to make it for you. Yep. Your family's, your religion's going to make it. Somebody's going to make it for you. Yeah. And to actually sit and think, what? Do I want? And the sad thing is, is that the person who's going to make those choices for you is somebody who doesn't know you necessarily that well, yeah. doesn't have your best interests at heart. No. 
You know, so people, I mean, there was that whole five languages of love mm. movement. So I personally think there's a hell of a lot more than five Absolutely. languages. You know, um, but, but I thought it was a, a move in the right direction. Yeah, because it starts you thinking about mm. what's important for me. Completely. And, you know, the analogy, I use lots of food analogies because I love food <laughs> and eating. It's a really important part of my life. Me too. And um, the thing is, what do you really want to have for breakfast? Exactly. Not what anybody told you you think they think you should have for breakfast. What makes your body feel good in the morning? Yeah. And if it's a steak and piece and, and steak and eggs. Or oysters. So be it. There you go. Yeah. And the more consciously we make these choices, the more we're creating lives of fulfillment. And they're not easy choices because they put us in often in a space where the way that we have been brought up is not the way that we would like to live. True. And that doesn't mean that you love anybody less. It doesn't mean you love your parents less. Mm. It doesn't mean that you love your partner less when you choose to live differently. Yeah. But you need to make that choice because at the end of the day, this is the life that you live. And who are you living it for? And if we want to change things in our world, who are we living it for? Mm. What is the world that we want to create? Never mind the world that we want to leave for our children because that's a whole other story. Yeah. What is the world that I want to live for today? If I'm doing that from my heart, from my soul, I'm going to leave a world that's worth leaving. You know, one of the things I really love about our discussions here, um, it, whenever we meet, Jonty, is that even though the show is called Sex Talk, I think we could very easily rename this Live Your Truth. Yeah. Because that's every single episode, whatever topic we've been unpacking or exploring or looking into, um, we look, you know, it initially seems like this very unique or, or prickly or mm. sensational topic that we'll discuss, whether it's open relationships or, uh, you know, whatever kind of fetish we might be discussing. But it always seems to boil down to the same thing, which is live your truth. It is. And that's any anything in life, whether it's, whether you're exploring sensuality, whether you're exploring Movement with Christos. It's all about that. And everything mm. else is simply a vehicle of how we express ourselves. And every single person that I work with at some stage says something so beautiful on a journey. Even at the retreat last week um, in Michalisburg the week before. Mm. This has everything to do with sex and it has nothing to do with sex. Yep. Because it's all about the fullness of who we are. And that's just a way in. And I had a moment last week um, of I'm very much looking at kind of how do I define myself at the moment in terms of the work that I do, the things I'm writing. Mm. And I'm struggling with that because the words, a lot of the words don't fit anymore. No. So it's interesting and then there was a part of me saying so what if this journey of sexuality actually is over and you're going to do something else and then there was this voice that was so clear saying how doff are you you're doing the most beautiful things in the most beautiful way and it's just a way in for so much mm. and when people are willing to step through the door that's what they see completely and 
if you think that you are coming to learn about your premature ejaculation problem and fix that, yes, you are. But you're coming to learn about yourself. Completely. And if you're coming to learn about why you're not having orgasms, you're coming to learn about yourself. Mm. And if you're coming with your partner to make your relationship better, you're coming to learn about yourself. And you want to be a better lover, learn about yourself. You want to grow your business, grow yourself. Mm. And it all comes from there. I completely relate to that. I mean, from, because the world that I work in is sexual health. And for we the brave.co.za, when, when I get, you know, we're talking about pre-exposure prophylaxis, or we're talking about condom use, or we're talking about safer sex options, or, or taking ARVs because you're HIV positive, whatever the case may be. Uh, it also, it boils down to knowing yourself, mm-hmm. living your truth, and doing what resonates best for you mm-hmm. and, and in a way that doesn't harm anyone else. And then the, the conversation becomes very simple. It, you know, there's this funny little guy who does a show after me. Yes. I, I'm really fond of him. Mm. He's a strange fucking pervert. If you think <laughs> I'm perverse, you should listen to this guy. Really? Sometimes. What's his you name? Casper de Fris. My God, I heard about him. Have you? He is he apparently is, he's pervert. If there was a dodgy <laughs> character, you have to know that's Jesus. him. That really is. Jonty, I've got a question to ask you. Sorry that I barged in and sorry to interrupt you. No you never problem. have to apologize. Um, I heard of something and I, I wondered if you knew. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you in the beginning of my show, but I'm going to ask you at the end of yours. Yes. Do you know about the Eiffel Tower? The, yes, I do. Tell me about it. So the Eiffel Tower is a threesome. Yeah. So there is generally a woman. Yep. And there is one guy plugged into one end. Yes. And there is another guy plugged into the other end, end of, of her. End of the woman, yeah. Yes. And they are both on their knees and their hands are up like that and they kind of high-fiving or touching yes. and it looks like an Eiffel Tower. That's right. That's what an Eiffel Tower mm. is. Yeah. I, uh, I, apparently it's the rage now. Yeah. So oh, here's so. one for you. Do you know what nyctophilia is? No. NYC. Nyctophilia. What's that? Is a fetish for the night and the dark. Hmm. Ooh. What, uh, what do you mean? Doing it with the lights off. But and in the dark. I, I, I thought that was sex in any case. No, some people look at each other while they have... Some people look really? at each other... Yeah, they do. Oh, my God. Uh, really? Uh, imagine Don't that. Don't they vomit? No. They, <laughs> hopefully they laugh. Yeah. Oh, so that's in the dark. There we go. Okay, so I'm a nectophiliac in mm, any case. Hello, darkness, my <laughs> old friend. <laughs> I come to fuck you in I've, the end. I've come again. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Bruce. You. Sorry Thank to barge in like you. I'm used to being barged in. Oh, Bruce is so cute, eh? Hey? He is. Mm. He's, he's amazing. You should have him on your show. He's funny. He sings. He dances. I know. He tells jokes. <laughs> and he's actually quite smart sometimes as yeah. well. <laughs> no, we've bumped into each other, no? if you know what I mean, in, in the, the dark. dark. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Absolutely. guys. Thanks for the Eiffel Tower. There we go. Bye. Up next is Casper and whoever perverts he might have collected <laughs> for this morning. We all up. We all there up. There we go. Literally. Have so much pleasure. This is CliffCentral.com.